Welcome to another Mike Flanders podcast. We are in the middle of January 2020 and I am at, uh, I would like to say, at home in Brisbane, Australia. And today I'm with my long, long time friend and collaborator, Jason Milhouse. Say hi, Jason. G'day. How you going? There you go. Now, he is actually uh, the second Australian that is on the podcast. I, um, I've released five. Um, we're up at about 12 or 13 now. And Carl Wachner is on. Uh, and he did that, you know, wanted to throw in some Australian kind of slang. And uh, yeah, uh, his, his hasn't came out yet. So uh so it's going to be fun when people, you know, most of the interviews so far have been about, you know, American, American songwriting, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we go back, um, we go back, um, I hate to say it, to the 90s, but we started collaborating musically probably in the more of the end of the 90s, I would think, if my memory serves me, maybe 90. Seven, do you think? Maybe. Yeah, I don't. Were you counting back to your place or uh, West End? Probably my and your place. I think we were doing stuff, and then when West End really kicked in, it would have been. Do you think ninety nine, ninety eight? Well, Holly was born in two thousand, so and that happened. Yeah, the craziness started yeah, yeah, in two thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so well, there you go. So twenty years. So. I've been in the U.S. 12 years, so for that eight years, we certainly slogged it. So uh, I think I estimated that we had done, before I'd left in a five-year period, 54 records. Mm. Um, Some of those records we had, we enjoyed our first couple of number one singles, we did. Mm -hmm. Um, Cole Finley, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we cut that and we also, you cut the video as well. Uh, and that's kind of a funny story, that one, because I, um, I remember him saying, oh, here's the single. And I'm thinking that is definitely not a single, you know. Which one, my place? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no way is that going to be a single. And bang, number one. And I think that was the first number one we ever, we enjoyed at that point. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah. yeah, and then I think Natalie Howard come in with some other number ones, um, and I think did Cole then come in with another one? With Mexican lady. Mexican lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So two so, off the one record. That was yeah, good. that was yeah, pretty yeah, good, yeah. and I think Natalie's were too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, um, as far as the listeners are concerned, um, Jason, um, you know, we started working together. We had a big studio down in West End and uh, we had a big old Neve console and by the time Pro Tools came in and blah, 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 we we, we were just completely analogue, weren't we, at yep. that point? Tape. So you're the uh, engineering brain, so uh, I think these kind of listeners like to know equipment and uh, so explain to, to the listeners, you know, what we were working with at that time. Was it, it was a Studer? Yes. Two-inch? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. uh, 24, yep. 24 track. Um, I can't remember what the console was. It was a mid-80s, wasn't it? Mid-80s broadcast, I think yeah, they called it. It came Neve. out of Channel 9 originally, Did I think, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I yeah. don't know a lot of its history, yeah. yeah. But I, I don't know. I've tried to track down the same console just to try and work out what the number what was, what model was, but I can't find it I, anywhere. I think it was kind of unique, yeah. yeah. It yeah. went to Mixmasters. I remember he was tracking me down trying to find... I remember um, who was fixing the channels. He kept one of the channels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember yeah, his yeah, name yeah, okay. from the metal band that yeah. we were working with that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 
Yeah, so we had that, but there was like some really nice compressors and yeah. What was the space in general? I think just the size of that the high bit, ceiling. Yeah, was massive. Yeah, the grand piano in the corner yeah. kind of looked small, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, but, um, yeah. I mean, it was everything was there. I mean, it was beautiful. Everything yeah. you needed. Yep. It's the old days. Yeah, I know. Mm. And uh, I, I don't think people realise where we are now to where we were then. So let's just say, let's call that 20 years. Mm. 20 years ago, uh, the room was $600 to hire. That's right, yep. You were like 250 Yeah. Yep. I was whatever. I don't even remember. You know, maybe I was three to 500 Yeah. So, and then you had to buy tape. Yeah, three hundred and fifty bucks. Fifteen spool, minutes. Which only fit yeah, three, four, three three songs. Three four yeah, if you were lucky. Yep, yep. <laughs> so and a lot of people that was the, the kind of breaking point, wasn't it? It's was like, oh yep. my god, I'm paying this. Oh god, then I gotta buy tape. Yeah. And obviously a lot of people back in that era we would reuse tape and people, you know, probably don't realise that the degeneration of old tape lost the brightness and blah blah mm-hmm. blah, you know. So uh yeah, I had. Um, I came back from one of my trips, um, and there was tons of four, five, six tapes in my dad's garage, and I put them all in a dumpster. You know. Yeah, that's harsh. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, now yeah. I think the cost. Wow. I haven't yeah. looked at it in a while. I don't know what the price. Would I don't know. Be. Yeah, and is anyone in town here using any two-inch tapes? Do you know of? There, yeah, there's one guy. They just seem to reuse it, though. I don't know if they buy it. They've just got a bunch of it there that, you know, they just you go over of... to do drums and bass, basically. Right. Yeah, have yeah. you heard of Clasp? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. I haven't used it. No, no. It's well, pretty good. Um, ben um, went to school with Shannon Forrest's boy, Ethan, and Shannon's now playing with Toto. Um, we met Michael McDonald and, and Ben jammed with Robin Ford down there and it's our son, Ben, and... Um, yeah, he's using clasp. So the drums, because he's a drummer, like a really great drummer. So, yeah, the drums, maybe the bass, goes through his 24-track machine and that clasp or however it works, I'm not sure. So he gets all that tape compression going to Pro Tools. Yeah. So well, it just goes through. Do you remember the session we did with Lee's down at yep, Byron? I do. I remember because we were on Pro Tools again at yep. that stage and then we went back to tape for that and the hiss... And we didn't started do freaking it, did us we? out. But you remember, we continued to record a couple of songs. We just went th- through the transformers to Pro Tools, and I remember them sounding way better than going straight to Pro Tools. So just going through the machine, even when it was hitting tape. So I'm assuming that's where this class yeah you know, comes into comes into play. I mean, it was just a really nice. I mean, what tape used to do was just you know. Still does rounds off that that top the top end. Yeah, so the so transformers harsh. were still doing the same thing. So it's part of the process. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I remember we were shocked. We were shocked by the hits because it had been <laughs> a few years, only a couple of years probably by the time we did that yep. record. Yep. That um, you know we we kind of got freaked out. I mean, I was like, oh my god, yeah. What do you want to do? You know. Um, and back in those old days, it just we wouldn't have even thought about it. No, no, no. Well, just... I think it was possibly the monitoring was so good in that room too. So, <laughs> <it made it worse. laughs> yeah, that was a cool session. Actually, yeah, that was, it was a really cool session. That was an American woman that I'd met in Texas that uh, came all the way to Australia to record with us. So, uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah. Back then, we also had. Um, 
which you also bought out of that system, didn't you? The Yuri stuff. Yep. Yep. It was, and there was smart compressors. Yeah, I should have. We should have kept them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a famous uh, producer guy in Australia called Magoo. I think he's got one or two yeah. of them, doesn't he? Oh, Jeff's got it now. Jeff's Jeff, got Jeff it, Jeff has he? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, they're just great. I'd love one of those. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think probably that was the thing when in that that period where we left that studio and moved over to Pro Tools, you didn't really think that gear was going to be. No, you know, I thought it was going to be superseded. I suppose yeah. at some point, yeah. but no, it's the gear today is all even more relevant. Yeah, you know, and they're basing everything on that still. Yeah, it's like yep. Well, you're probably a good person, and I know that. You know, I have uh, children in the business now, and and there and other engineer friends in Nashville are talking about how good the UA um, DSP stuff is. So uh, I had a, a guy say to me, "Hey, you have this particular preamp, and here is the UA plug-in version. Can you A B it, play the same part, and send them to me?" And he he couldn't figure out which was the one that I did through that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's got so good. It's just, I think there's, like my 31176s, they all sound different. So yeah. you can't really, you yeah. can't get a plug-in for each one of those. I mean, that's the only difference I think yeah. these days is if you have a particular unit that sounds a particular way. Yeah. You know, you can't achieve that with a plug-in. But half the time, you know, if the quality, if the plug-in's quality plug-in. Yeah. Well, I think I think there's several different issues, and I think we're faced with, and um, you kind of understand more about that when you have, like, you have a daughter and I have the twins, and and they are listening to modern music, and we are now realizing that some of this modern music, like um, Billie Eilish or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you know, the brother and her. You've seen that setup, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so simple, yeah. But they're making hit records, you know. Um, so he's obviously got very good at what he does. But when you, you know, people at our age, you know, we've hit the fifty odd mark, and you've been tweaking knobs now for twenty five, thirty years. Um, you can't buy that. Um, no. And even being here the last few days and seeing how you know. You're operating, so tell the folks, you know, what system you're working with and the amount of equipment you've bought and, you know, people will call it in the box, out of the box. Mm. Um, so your out of the box is pretty serious. Yeah, well, it's, it's a hybrid system. So it's a Neve 5316, a mid-70s console. I think that's where, to me, the preamps are still essential you know, the era, the preamps, or the t- just the particular tone you're after, whether you want to colour it or, um, you know, want it transparent. Um, and then compression too on going in. And yeah. I'm a big fan of, I still love the analog. And I think it's a process too. It's, is it, is it, does it sound better? I don't know, but it's part of the process, you know. Yeah. Well, and you, what you're going for. Yeah. And it, you, it's what happens in the room because you're using that gear. Um, well, performance. Performance, exactly. You know, yeah. it's what we discussed the last couple of days is your performance is better if the sound is just kissing you in the face. That's right, and, exactly. you, know, yeah. you know, the old days, you know, you know, I'd be sitting there playing guitar part and 
and we'd be searching for that tone. And um, both of us here today uh, were very influenced at one point by Daniel Lenoir and still are today. And, you know, I don't know if he, he if any of his process goes to Pro Tools, do you? I mean, I know no, he was... I think he was doing that radar system. Radar, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't... I don't yeah, think I've never seen. He still does. Yeah. yeah. But he's, I mean, he's been asked that before. I've been in the room. Uh, With at, him. Yeah, yeah. at um, Byron Bay that Byron time. Byron Bay conference, yeah. And, yeah. and a couple of people kept bringing that up and he just had, he just stopped that question. I mean, he said, it, it, and this was going back years ago. Yeah. And he said, uh, it's 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 just not a, an issue anymore. It's just what you choose to yeah. use. You can make great music on anything that's available these days. It's just the way... You process, you know, it's yeah. the way you do things. So, and he just finds what the gear he's using is is how he achieves the tones he wants to achieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he wouldn't have the flexibility of the editing um, with radar. No, but his process isn't is isn't like about that. editing. It's all no. performance based, yeah. and it's like yeah. there's something about that. There's something even if you've just got a Pro Tool system, there's something cool about. Throw a sheet over the screen yeah. and treat it like a tape machine. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll find your work differently than if yeah. you just stare at it. And well, I'm way more that way in Nashville, as you know. Um, when you're recording there, um, they're used to the live performance in the studio tracking with people still. Uh, there's a lot of overdubs, obviously, that happen every day. Uh, and I do a lot of you know, one-on-one overdubs. But you get very used to, and I certainly do, if I start a track, whether it's an acoustic or electric, I want to go from the start to the end of that track and see if I can get a performance. Yeah. I don't like the little, oh, let's do the verse and let's drop into a chorus and blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah, Lenoir's, you know, we just loved the way he painted those canvases, didn't we? Yeah. And that um, excited us. Yeah. And, uh, and it really helped us kind of point out what can be achieved and how creative people could be. I think that's more what we were trying to uh, attach ourselves with at that point, weren't we? We were, we called it bathing in the oil. We'd bathe in Daniel's oil and we'd listen to, before we'd start a session, we'd sometimes play tracks and get excited about it. And when he put out Shine, um, it was it definitely changed my existence. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you, you put me on to him, was it... Uh Arcade, Arcadia. Arcadia, was it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then what was the second one with Wyona? Um, yeah, Beauty of. Yeah, Beauty of Wyona. Yeah. yeah. That that blew me out. Oh, that changed yeah. my whole way of thinking. Yeah. In, in way of music. Well, I think it was always there, but I think I hadn't really found the albums that what I was looking for. Yeah. And when you gave me those, it just opened up a whole different realm for me. Yeah, well, so, I, think, I think we... There's a very interesting thing about living in this country and then experiencing America because um, we always look out you know, at America as something and these amazing people and because of the size, people don't realise, you know, there's less people here than in, uh, in Texas. And um, you've got 330 million people, sure, you're going to get amazing one percent or whatever incredible <laughs> musicians, Lenoir. I think what attracted us is the fact that he was a Canadian. He wasn't an American, yeah, yeah. Um, and he did his little thing starting under his mum's house, and uh, and ended up you know being this iconic producer. 
Um, and I don't know if people are familiar, and here we are giving him a big rap on our podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, Dylan's Time Out of Mind, amazing record, Amy Lou's Wrecking Ball, um, U2's Joshua Tree, you know, Billy amazing. Nelson's Tetro. You know, how many times do we watch that video in the uh, studio? <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> so um, to try and get back on track, so I'm just going to walk through a process so people understand how our relationship um, worked really well. Um, you know, Jason um, is a really great engineer, and and let me tell you, after seeing him the last few days, uh, an incredibly talented man and wonderful set of ears, and. Um, uh, I was fortunate to um, be kind of working in a record label at one point in the 90s and we were building artists and uh, we ended up getting overloaded with work and so we started collaborating together to try and achieve speed um, and I played a, a multitude of instruments, which I still do, and anyone that's listened to this understand what I play. And Jason's a... I joke that he's the, uh, the, the <laughs> he's the illegitimate child of Keith Richards. If you watch him play rhythm guitar, um, and um, so when we collaborated, so I would often meet an artist, uh, get the project ready, uh, write charts, write songs, whatever that was, and get that collection of material ready to go. Then we'd we'd book our, our drums and bass, and we'd scratch um, have an acoustic scratch happening, and then we'd build tracks in our studio, and uh, and then I him and I would then just tool around for we usually give ourselves twenty days to make a record, and I would spend uh, ten days here with him heavily, um, whether it was session musicians or ourselves tracking, and then I would leave him to mix. And um, then we'd come in and out and listen to songs and then move to the next project. That's kind of what our process was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were doing the pre-production all of the yeah. time while I was mixing yeah. the last record. So yeah. keep yeah. it rolling. So that's kind of how come we, we achieve so much work. And, uh, you know, I think uh, at certain points we were pretty much doing a record a month and we'd give ourselves January off to yeah. recuperate and yeah. come back to it. So, uh so yeah, that's that's kind of so. Give the uh, the folks a little bit of an insight on since we haven't been working together. What what have you discovered here in Australia that you've worked on that you're really excited about and they can listen to? Well, I'm, I'm halfway through an album with a girl called Jen Mize. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. it's going to be a great record. Um, rhythm, rhythm and blues, alt country. She's just and she just sings like a. Like a demon, yeah, she's yeah. she's amazing. Um, that'll be a great record. Um, and uh, did one with a guy called David Shack, a very southern rock, Americana, alt country yeah. vibes. Another great record. Um, I can't remember. I haven't thought about. Yeah, yeah. Well, which which project did you do? Was that eighteen or nineteen that you? Sean Sennett and Rob Hurst. Rob Hurst oh, is a drummer yeah. for Midnight Oil, people don't know. Yeah, well, that's been a process over the last couple of years. Um, uh, it's funny, that that record, it's funny working with Sean and Rob because Rob's got his other band, Midnight Oil, of course. Yeah, and, uh, small band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to get him. So a lot of the, those two albums have been made um, in bits and pieces, basically. Yep. Like we'd just book us. They're very fast. We'd book a we do a day in the studio, he'd come in and the songs weren't even, you know, probably half written, if that, you know. Really? 
they were really after a um, a garage band sound. Rob loves that, you know, yeah. the, the Who and yeah. that um, just that mentality of just getting in a room and smashing it out. And he's just great at it, you know. He keeps the energy there, and um, yeah, it was made. The first record was made in two days, like just two wow. sessions. We might have, I might have gone over and done some overdubs, bit after just guitars, but the idea was just to keep it, you know, a, a live record. So it was a trio of uh, four. So Derek was on bass. Yep. Sean Sean played some guitars. I played guitars and Rob on drums and vocals. Yeah, right. So and Rob the, sang. Yep, yep. Half half the songs are Rob and half are Sean. Yeah, right. Um, and both were there were some collaborative songs that came to it from them, but and there were songs that each had sort of written. But really, there I think there might have been two or three songs were fully written. The rest were just riffs and Jeez. ideas. It was unbelievable. It was so much fun. And, uh, and that comes across live because when you play it, it's exactly the same as the yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's how it went down. And then we made another one recently, another EP. It's about to come out. And it's a similar process, but it's been, you know, over a period of a year. It's not been yeah, the right. same process. It's yeah. just been because he's been so busy with Minotaur and stuff. Because they came back and... Yeah, the big yeah. reunion tour. And, yeah, yeah. Like most big old bands now are all resurfacing. Yeah. Australian Crawl and oh, man, yeah, what Cold a show. Chisel I've seen yeah. come back. They're back, yeah. And that oil show, was they were as good as they were in the day. That's I don't amazing. know if anyone's a oil fan out there, but um, Pete singing as well as he did, if not better, you know. Wow. And just the sound was unbelievable. It was so good. Yeah, well, I suppose when you think about the sonic value of, of what's happened between now and then too, it's yeah, improved. Yeah. So that might be kind of adds to it with in-ears now. They yeah. can hear better and, yeah. Well, and to hear a live, they were a live band, you know. Yeah. You, for, you forget back then that there was a thing here in Australia, Oz Rock, you know, yeah. wasn't it, where yeah. people, where bands were... They came together because they played in packed pubs. They did, way yeah. before they got they got record deals. Yeah, of course. Anything. Yeah, and yeah. That's how they established yeah, the Bondi sound. Surf Club. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that just comes across when you see a band yeah. live that yeah. used to be like that. Yeah. Well, we didn't realize, did we, how um, the the feel of Rob Hurst playing, mm. how focus point for the sound of Midnight Oil, did we? Till we started playing with him that one time yep. in that practice room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. were like, oh, okay, now we kind of yeah. get it. That's yeah. that's the sound, that's the feel of the oil stuff. That's, it was completely yeah. inherent in his playing, wasn't it? Well, that's how I met Rob, through you when yeah. we made uh, yeah, well, Josh's record. Well, and that's a funny story because yeah. we, uh, I was up at uh, the Gimpy Muster. I don't know if it was it you and I. I think we'd done something. Maybe we were playing with Josh. It was Josh, yeah. Yeah, and then we saw Rob playing that in the night blues tent. in yep. the blues tent with the singlet on and it was in the middle of winter <laughs> and the steam was coming off of his yep. body and I looked at him going, oh, my God. That's awesome. I think we said, wouldn't it be amazing to have mm. that guy? And then I rang the head of ABC Music Publishing, Eloise Nolan at the time, and yep. said, uh, hey, this is what I'm thinking. And she said, I got his number. Yeah, it was awesome. So that's how we got it. And then the interesting thing for us was we were kind of in a very studio mentality back then um, but he wanted to get together and play as a band. That's right, um, yeah. Yeah, and we were like, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. He came up when we rehearsed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, up yeah. in the music store in the North Coast. Yeah, that's what was <laughs> so different for us. Yeah, that was so good. Yeah, and bought a bunch of instruments while we were in the music store. <laughs> that's right, yeah, my telly. <laughs> 
Well, I think we covered kind of an outline of you and I and, and the relationship. Do you think I've missed some things? Uh, obviously, oh, it's very easy to miss yeah. 20 years. Going for days. But, yeah, we've, um, you know, Jason's mixed a bunch of records that I've worked on since living in America. Um, he just finished mixing uh, or close to finished mixing uh, the new Jeremy Parsons record. Uh, he mixed the last Jeremy Parsons. There is a, uh, Jeremy's a wonderful singer-songwriter, lives in Nashville, but is from uh, San Antonio, Texas. Um, but, yeah, we're, you know, continuing to collaborate and probably will for a long, long, long time. So uh, I think we've, yeah. Hmm. Anyone, uh, you know, tell them your uh, Instagram. Uh, well, it's Jason Milhouse. If you search for me, I think it, well, I'm not sure how that works. It actually the title is Record Works, which yeah, is the studio. Works, yeah. But yeah. I don't know whether you type in either I one. Don't know it probably either. comes up. I'm yeah, not really yeah. that savvy. On so that you stuff. can follow him on Instagram, yeah. Record Works, and have a look at his cool room and his beautiful Neve, and he's got an incredibly good setup here. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for continuing to listen, and um, yeah, stay tuned. Bye bye. Cheers. See ya.
Thank you.